You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we believe your soul is worth the work. Now, today's episode is going to leave you with a smile. Why? Because we're talking about one of the most important spiritual disciplines of your life. Take a guess. Mm-mm, not that one. It's celebration. Crazy, right? I know. But let's dive deep into it and discuss why the happiest being in the universe keeps getting a bad rap. Plus, story time's back. Oh, yeah. You ready? Let's work. grandmother used to greet me. Hi, hello. Good morning, good evening, and good night. Yes. <laughs> I'm greeting everybody, no matter what time you locked in to listen. Just know that I'm grateful. It's my desire that this podcast will help us take back the narrative of what the gospel's really about, while also having a little fun. So for every listener, I want to thank you. If you've ever gotten value from this show, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and a review, because that helps us share the show with others. Okay, we are on with it. We're moving today because I'm filling this episode while we bring story time back. I'm very hype about that one. This one's going to be fun. But before we get to story time, I'm hoping that everyone is doing well and that your passion week was filled with reflection and gratitude and joy. Now, mine felt a little different this year, but it didn't change my thankfulness that Jesus did and does for me what I simply cannot do for myself. But again, I'm going to ask. Are you well? I like to do these weekly check-ins because it gives us a moment just to pause. You don't have to answer or email, but just take a second to think to yourself like, wait, is everything all right with me? I found how surprising and quick we can just slog through each day without ever pausing to check in with ourselves. Because some days the answer is an enthusiastic, yes, all is well. It's a great day. But then there are other days where it's like, meh, uh, Not yet. It's not quite the best of days. And that's okay too. See, that's the thing about this faith. It is strong and viable enough to handle the spectrum of human emotions and life. So if you're down, there's a verse for that. And if you're overjoyed, there's a verse for that too. And if you find yourself in the middle, there's a verse somewhere in the Psalms, (laughs) got something that'll comfort you. But the best part, there's no condemnation for whatever state you're in. Like, fam, you ever been in your feelings, but you felt you had to cover it from folk out of fear of how they'd receive you? And it goes both ways, right? Like, there's some people you cannot be too happy around because it offends them. That's that mean Aunt Myrtle we were talking about in season one, who she's going to come to you with a word to remind you that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That's too much joy, too much happiness. I don't like that. God ain't, God ain't pleased. (laughs) Oh, Aunt Myrtle. But then there's others where you can't get too down around them because then it looks like ye of little faith. Where do you, you don't see God. That's your problem. Yeah, well, my thing is thank God for Jesus and matured saints that understand the ebbs and flows. It's simply a part of life. Here's what I'm learning as I get older. My flexible feelings are no match for his steadfast love. Say la, sugar. Let's get to the topic. We're jumping into the main topic today excited about this particular discipline. And let me tell you why. Now, if this is your first time listening in, have no fear. Check out a few episodes back where we review or start at episode one of season three 
you'll get a good overview of what it means to practice spiritual disciplines and keyword emphasis heavy on the practice. Now we've done quite a few of them from solitude and silence to Sabbath, but this one is going to require our full participation. I'm hyped just thinking about it because the idea that we serve a God who prioritizes joy as something we get to experience daily, yo, that's worth being hype about. Here's my mini rant, if you will. Allow me. Laumina, thank you. Following Jesus gets such a bad rap. People spend more time on the rigor and duty of the faith than Jesus did himself. Like, if you're inclined to rebuke me in this moment, hear me out first. Here's what I mean. And don't just hear me out. Like, let's look at the book. Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, he speaks so much not just of joy, but of his joy becoming our own. He did not just die to free us from sin. Now, that alone could have been enough. But as always with Jesus, there's even more. Fam, his life and modeling of life, it gives us room, cause, and example to live and be happy. Like legit, it it doesn't even always make sense. And yet, here I am, after all hell has broken loose, after my greatest fears have been realized, or even after I finally accomplished the goal I was striving for, here I stand with a joy that runs deep, deep in the soul. That's all of us. It's a joy the Bible describes as unspeakable and full of glory. Yo, that's 1 Peter 1.8. Do your soul a favor and read from verses three to verse nine on that. I was at like a little coffee bar when I first read it. Almost had a full fit in the place. Okay, the holler that tried to swell up. Read it. It'll, it'll bless you, I promise. But that phrase, inexpressible joy, that's another part you might see in other translations. It's only used once in the entire scripture. And it speaks of how this joy runs so deep that it's not possible that it could have just come from within or from anything the earth provides. This joy, it is a gift of Jesus. It is the same joy he promises us in the gospels. Like you look, read through the chapters, John 15, 16, and 17. Jesus, God in the flesh, he speaks of himself as having joy. If that's not enough, you go to Psalm 45 and 7. It explains how God anoints him with the oil of joy more than his companions. Now, Hebrews 1.9 confirms that it's Jesus the psalmist was prophetically speaking of in Psalm 45. What does this mean, son? It means that Jesus had more joy than anyone else who's ever lived. Why? Because he loved righteousness. Fam, don't get it twisted. Yes, he was a man acquainted with our sorrows. And yes, the garden at Gethsemane experience, it really did happen. But those moments of humanity never robbed him of the joy that through him, we could be reconciled back to God. Yo, Hebrews 12, 2, it says it better than I ever could. Looking unto Jesus, or or better yet, another way of saying it is keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that lay before him, the joy, endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. All of this to say, Jesus was a man of joy, fam. He was a man that was so fun loving that he was once accused of being a glutton and a drunk because of how he lived. Like that's Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, just in case you thought I was playing. Jesus loved, he lived and he embodied joy. 
So I didn't mean to like hit you over the head with the scriptures. You know, that's not how we do over here. But I will tell you, you already know there's a passion for the word and that's what you're hearing. Uh, and because of this, I think it is perfect time. First story. Right on that time I think I hit it then did you you heard that I think I hit it anyway okay shout out to my people from Brooklyn they start out every story just like this all right so boom check it (laughs) we're in John 2 John just finished giving one of the most profound introductions of Jesus that could ever exist and that's in John 1 but now he takes us to the very first miracle Jesus performs on record But before we get to the what, where do you think it is? Probably a synagogue. That would have been my first guess. A river, maybe. Who knows? You know all the songs about rivers. Okay. Maybe a holy man's home. Nah, fam. Jesus went to a wedding. Yes, that's right. The very first miracle ever performed happened at a party. Here's how it all went down. Jesus, his mom, and his disciples were invited to partake in some wedding festivities. And after some time, the wine runs out. Now, in this particular era, this is a very, very big deal. Like what we may see as a minor snafu could become the couple's new calling card in their community. Like, oh, hey, y'all remember when Victor and Shanice got married, but they ran out of wine? Mm, 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 what a shame. You, you know how us community members could be, right? Oh, hey, y'all look happy now, but you wasn't when you didn't have no wine when we was all at your wedding. <laughs> that kind of thing. But to deepen this point, according to many scholars, wine is a rabbinical sign of joy. So the idea of a wedding running out, it could indicate to the guests that both or bride and groom are not starting off their union happy. Right. So Mary finds out about the lack and she goes to the one she knows can fix it. She says very matter of factly to Jesus, they ran out of wine. Now, imagine Mary for a second and her position on this. Here's a woman that has been disgraced or socially shamed within her community because she got pregnant before wedlock. Up until this point, she just seems like a promiscuous or crazy lady who's been claiming for the past 30 years that her firstborn is somehow supernatural. But Mary knows that even if it's taken 30 years, through his ministry, her vindication's gonna come. Now, that's a word to those with an ear, but I gotta stick with the story. You dig what I'm saying? So Mary, she speaks to Jesus who responds in kind, and he says, woman, what that got to do with me? My hour hasn't come yet. Now, to clarify, woman is a term of endearment. So from time to time, I call my mama ma'am. Okay, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Ma'am, where you you think you're going? You cute, ma'am, that kind of thing. It's a term of endearment. It's loving. He wasn't being sharp. What I love is that Mary doesn't go back and forth. She knows that Jesus knows how crucial this is. So instead, she goes to the servants of the shindig and says to them, whatever he tells you, do it. Now that's another word for those with ears to hear, but we story sticking today. I promise you. Okay. 
So like a good son, let's get back to it. Like a good son, Jesus complies. He uses what's available. I'm winking at you now. (laughs) He tells the servants to take the six stone water jars normally used for Jewish purification to fill them to the brim with water. Once they complete that, he simply tells them to draw some out and bring it to the chief servant. And they did just what he said. Sure enough, when the chief servant tastes the water, which had now become wine, he's blown away at its quality. So much so that he pulls the groom aside and says, yo, everyone sets out the finest of wines first at these gatherings. That way, once the people get drunk, the inferior wine comes out and nobody really notices. But you, my dude, you save the best for last. And scene. Check out John 2 verses 1 through 12 if you want a more formal reading of what happened. Okay, so Jesus, you out here keeping the party going, huh? Let's chop this up a little bit. So we know what he did. He turned the water into wine, right? But why did he do it? Well, we're not fully, fully sure. The Bible doesn't detail that. There's tons of speculation, and here's a few of them. Some say it was because of honor, right? Like he honored the faith of his mother, or he was respecting her request to do something about this deficit at the party. Others will say that it was a sign of authority. Jesus displaying his rule over all things, even down to the molecular level, right? Like he's bad enough to add ingredients that can transform the identity of a thing, much like what he's done with our lives through his blood. Others say it's the way that he displayed his power to turn water into wine, which takes time to ferment. So what typically takes years and years, Jesus did it in just a moment. Come on here, uh, suddenly miracles. I think I hear a B3 in the distance, right? <laughs> let, me, let me bring myself back low. But here's my humble suggestion. It is yes to all of this because one act can have several motives. But I do want to add that Jesus performed this miracle first as a sign to share that joy is necessary and must be priority in the kingdom. Why? It's a foretelling of what is to come because one day we are going to feast and dine at the master's table. Jesus decides to start his ministry in the same way he knows it will end with victory, with rest, and with joy. His one act keeps the party going. He restores dignity to the new couple, and he gives the guests at the wedding a wine that's even better than what they had before. Now, isn't that just like Jesus? Because following him provides us with a life that is a higher quality than what we've ever had before. Therefore, celebration within our community, or even at times with ourselves, It helps us to remember and reflect on just that. This is why, despite all of the things we're experiencing, injustice, economic turmoil, anxiety, loneliness, depression, grief, anger, shame, you name it, we still have to push back and resist the narrative of the world that says we should just do for ourselves because it's all going down anyway. Or that we should put on the cloak of cynicism and live with gloom as our guardian. Fam, it doesn't have to be that way. I'm bringing up this Eugene Peterson quote again. I I quoted it in episode seven. I'm bringing it up again because it's so apropos. He says this, Jesus wasn't so much handing out information as he was reshaping our imaginations. So the question is, what would it look like if you took back the narrative of what this great gospel really means? That wrapped up in righteousness is a gladness that transcends words. 
that in addition to all the commands that Jesus gave, one of them and his most important one was love. And to go further, one of his biggest desires for us as joint heirs with him is that we be unified and have his joy, that it be full and complete. So my question is, how can we confess and prophesy doom for the sake of repentance for hours, yet not give enough attention to the power of what a life with Jesus's joy could actually look like? Fam, me not lie. Let me tell you the truth. Me not lie. I'm moving into this season of my life completely enamored with the Jesus of the Bible, not the one we've created that suits our preferences. Why? Because it's hurting a dying world who has no clue how incredibly relaxed, loving, and joyful Jesus was. Like, doesn't evangelism change when we refuse to use condemnation as a tool of shaming folk into the kingdom? That's not conversion, that's coercion. And we continue this falsehood when we disciple without love. Like, fun fact, we don't have to hate ourselves to be holy. The act of being sanctified or set apart for his use, it shouldn't make us panic at the thought of missing the consecration checklist for the day. I I guess what I'm saying is this. I look forward to the moment when my generation steps into the joy of the Lord and we live like it because his joy is our strength. And because of Jesus, it's our inheritance. Like there's not enough of us that are known for our love. And, and that's a problem because he literally said that's how we should be known, fam. And to be clear, you can't have love without joy or joy without love. Be ye not deceived because both speak of divine gifts from our generous father. He finds pleasure in lavishing us with this and more. Peace, love, and joy. It is ours for the taking. So, In all of our pursuits, because this is a year of pursuing and going and getting what's ours and gold getters and all of that, bro, sis, get yours. But let's be sure we never forget to chase that peace, love, and joy. After all, life and that more abundantly through Jesus, it's worth celebrating. Now, friends, on that note, I'm signing off. My hope is that we're leaving knowing that Jesus is heavy on the celebrates. And though we don't talk about it enough, Jesus was fun to be around. Like he attended weddings and parties and encountered people from all walks of life who wanted to get to know him more. This is your God, one who reflected his father. So I don't know about you, but I am passionate about taking the narrative back. He wasn't just solemnly performing the duty of salvation for us. We see so many pictures of Jesus, and I don't think they painted him well because he's not really smiling. (laughs) But I can almost guarantee through the scriptures, Jesus enjoyed this life. He, He had a joy set before him, and he loved what he did, even when it hurts. So here's Jesus joyfully experiencing life and people in the best way that glorified God. So here's the thing, practicing the disciplines, because if we're going to do one, we might as well do them all. It means that we're invited to do the same. The walk to practice a spiritual discipline is nothing more than an invitation to the life of Jesus. So fam, let's do it. Throw the party, yo. Now, just for the sake of clarity, uh, we're not throwing parties of fruitless recklessness. So I don't want to hear that you was lighting up or getting drunk because Jesus died for you, homie. We 
We're not on that. Come on. Common sense is our friend because celebration requires right intention. So here's what I am saying. Let's create moments digitally and in person where we can get together, revel in God's truth and walk away with joy. That means eating good, playing some good music, dancing some good to some good dances and laughing loud. And then let's do it again. And then again, who's with me? I want to know. Email me hello at soulworkwithson.com. What's your idea of a joyful time? Fam, if you're looking for more soul work, check out the website, soulworkwithson.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter that is I totally bombed on last week, but it will be up this Thursday. I need mercy. I'm going to just tell you right up front, okay? You ever had those projects in your life that you know you got to do, but they intimidate you for absolutely no reason? Oh, that's the newsletter for me. But here's to doing it scared. Now, remember, fam, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Talk soon.